Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. Good morning, Epiphany. It's good to be with you online this morning on this third Sunday of Advent. If you have your home Advent wreaths up and running, this is Pink Candle Sunday. Though you can light whatever candles you want, you know, it's not a deal breaker to me. I'm no legalist, neither is God. And as a heads up and a courtesy notice, you have 11 days until our Christmas Eve service. That is 11 days to get your Christmas shopping done. In all seriousness though, I hope you and yours are warm and well on this Sunday morning. as We gather digitally to say our prayers and reconnect with our God of grace. Our service today, friends, is morning prayer. I want to thank Rob Toscano, the Gooders, and the Carnes clan for jumping in on the recordings this week. In our announcements uh, that we do after our service and our time together, I'll address a couple of concerns, including Christmas Eve plans and the latest statewide COVID restrictions, and we'll also talk about our Salvation Army outreach too. And so, my dear friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that surely the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's begin our time of prayer together now. Good morning. This is Steve Gooder, wishing you a blessed and happy, healthy day. Let us confess our sins before God and our neighbor. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life To the glory of your holy name, amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Good morning, everybody. This is Grace Carnes. Our psalm today is Psalm 126. When the Lord overturned the captivity of Zion... Then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us already, whereof we rejoice. Overturn our captivity, O Lord as when streams refresh the deserts of the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with songs of joy. He who goes on his way weeping and bears good seed 
shall doubtless come again with joy and bring his sheaves with him. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This is Rob Toscano. I have the privilege of reading the lesson for this morning. The reading this morning is from Genesis 32, 9 through 12, and 22 through 32. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers of my children. For he said, I will surely prosper, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Now he rose that same night and took his two wives and his two handmaids and his 11 children and they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. He said to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you would ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Penel. And he said, I have seen God face to face. Yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew um, of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was in high school, I was a part of my high school's wrestling team, and I have to tell you, it was not a pleasant experience. Um, though I definitely was in the best shape of my life, I did all of the masochistic things that a scholastic wrestler does to make weight. I didn't eat full meals, I wore heavy clothes to help me sweat, I spat in a bottle all day during class like an old water bottle, I worked out for two hours a day, five days a week, I didn't touch any junk food. I only ate like turkey and cheese sandwiches for lunch for like five months straight. And the problem was, you know, given all of my sacrifice, 
you know, I wasn't any good at wrestling. I never won a match and was handily beaten by all of my opponents. And in fact, I'm reminded of one particular wrestler who beat fairly handily. Um, you know, going into this match, our school was the underdog, and by underdog, we were expected to be crushed. And so I get out on the mat, and I'm a freshman, and this guy's a senior, and he's got me by like a foot. He's a foot taller than me, and he's jacked like a bodybuilder, and I've still got some baby fat that I'm working off at that point, because, you know, puberty comes for us all at different times, and <clears throat> even though I gave it my best effort, he still pinned me rather quickly. It was not decision on points. My back was on the mat. And after the match, the coach came up to me and said, Brian, you know, you did great. And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, look, we didn't want to tell you this before the match, but the guy that you just wrestled came in second in the state last year. And I got to tell you, you gave it a pretty good go despite that. And I said, second in the state? And the coach said, yeah, we didn't want it to go to your head to, to psych you out of the match. And I said, we we didn't. What, what do you mean we? And he said, yeah, the whole team knew and they didn't tell you. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't wrestle after my freshman year. You know, a guy can only take so many losses before he moves on. But I tell you this story still because our lead man in Genesis right now, Jacob, is going to find himself in a physical and existential wrestling match in our reading today. And I want to break down this biblical wrestling match, and I want to do it in three parts, sort of three wrestling theme parts for our reading today. I want to talk about the weigh-in, I want to talk about the opponent, and I want to break down the outcome of the match. I want to talk about the, the weigh-in, as in the condition of the wrestler. I want to talk about the opponent, the person that Jacob wrestles, and I want to break down the outcome of the match. It's the closest we're going to get to allowing, you know, WWE wrestling in our church today, right? The scene of wrestling in Genesis. So, you know, hold on to your unitards, put on your headgear and mouth guards, you know, let's ring the bell. Let's get going. So let's talk about the way in first. Let's look at Jacob's condition as he prepares to go to the mat. Uh, the Bible uses weights and measures, in fact, as a way of judging someone's character, right? Uh, do you remember the famous inscription that God had for um, the son of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, right? Many, many tekel parson. You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting, right? So there's something about weight and being measured in scripture that has to do with your character and how, uh, how you are as a human being. And Jacob was certainly found wanting. He has been weighed and found wanting in our uh, study of Genesis so far. The first part of his life was defined by deception and cheating. He stole his brother's birthright, and he stole his father's blessing. And he had to free from his family and, and relocate about 600 miles away uh, so his brother didn't find him and kill him. And then for the second part of his life, uh, Jacob was the victim of deception. And for 20 years, he worked under a tribal leader named Laban. Um, and while he did end up marrying Laban's daughters, um, Laban regularly abused and deceived and took advantage of Jacob. And so for the second part of his life, Jacob got a taste of his own medicine about what it's like to be deceived by your family, the people who are supposed to be the most trustworthy in your life. And at God's leading, Jacob finally gets so frustrated at the abuse and mistreatment of his father-in-law that he takes his family and his servants and his livestock and he leaves Laban behind to return to his homeland. And this presents a problem. You see, Jacob is potentially leaving the frying pan, but landing in the fire. Because when he leaves Laban to return home with his family and his wealth, he's returning home to a brother who, in the past, 
had murderous intentions for him. And in fact, uh, when word comes that uh, Jacob's brother named Esau is coming to meet with them, Esau just doesn't come with a couple of servants. He comes with 400 men in tow. Now, why would Esau bring 400 men with him to meet Jacob? Unless those 400 men were an army to crush Jacob and get revenge on his past sins. And so at this point in Genesis, in Genesis 32, Jacob has made a plan. He's praying to God, of course. You know, why would you bring me back to my homeland just to die? Uh, but he's made a plan. He sends servants ahead to go before him with, uh, with gifts for his brother Esau. Servants and livestock and the like. And he sends these gifts in waves. There's like four different ways of gifts. And all of these, wave, these gifts are sent with words of praise for Esau. Um, and then after all the gifts have been sent, Jacob sends his herds. And after all the herds have been sent, Jacob sends his wives and his 12 kids. And Jacob plans to go last in this parable of sort of emotional manipulation. Perhaps if Jacob comes in and, and he gives his brother gifts, and if he lets his brother meet the, the, the sisters-in-law and the niece and the nephews that he hasn't met yet, then maybe Esau will have mercy when Jacob finally appears. That's, that's the hope from what Jacob has put together. And so that's the way in. God is leading Jacob back to the scenes of his early crimes. God has orchestrated this confrontation between two estranged uh, twin brothers. And it's looking like Esau is coming with a small army to get his revenge. And Jacob is trying to atone and make amends, or at least apologize, you know, for his past actions. He's attempting to ameliorate the righteous wrath of Esau as the two come together. If a biblical weigh-in is, is to take stock of someone's character, Jacob knows that he's done wrong. Jacob knows that he's destined for recompense. And you know what? With these 400 men in tow, it looks like Esau is going to get his justice. Jacob knows the status of his soul. Jacob knows that he has been weighed and measured and found wanting. And so that's the way in. Now let's talk about Jacob's wrestling match opponent. The text tells us that after this sort of carefully orchestrated parade of gifts and joy and apology has left and gone on ahead to bring Esau's anger down a little bit, Jacob stays behind and he stays by himself. And at the nighttime, when nighttime does come, a stranger arrives and the two of them begin wrestling. Now in the ancient world, you know, you don't travel by yourself. It's ill-advised to say the least because, you know, a small gang of robbers or thieves could easily overtake you. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, the man who was beaten and left half dead. Right? At first, it seems like this is the situation for Jacob. A stranger comes and starts to fight and grapple and wrestle with him. And we're thinking maybe whoever is wrestling with him wants to take his goods he has on his person and rob him. But this opponent turns out to be something different. Something way more significant than a simple uh, shakedown on the side of an ancient Near East road. This assailant comes to Jacob and the two begin to wrestle. They begin to fight and subdue each other. And, and Jacob is later going to call this place a Peneel, which literally means the face of God. And later on in the book of Hosea, this mysterious opponent is going to be called an angel of the Lord, a messenger. 
which is to say that Jacob's struggle in our reading against this mysterious opponent takes on more than just a physical wrestling match. Jacob finds himself wrestling against something profoundly spiritual and emotional as well, as if his physical struggle against this mystery figure has cosmic implications. He's wrestling against God's angel. He's seeing the face of God. And he's doing it in the context of his impending reunion, which will take place the next day, which could very well be the end of his life. We might say that this earthly wrestling match is not just Jacob fighting a stranger, but Jacob wrestling with his own trust and his own faith and his own obedience to the will of God. God wants Jacob and Esau to reconcile. Jacob fears for his life at the prospect of this reunion. And while the exact identity of the wrestling opponent is up for debate, God, an angel, a vision, even Jesus himself has been considered by some as the opponent, we can say with certainty that Jacob is wrestling with God. Jacob has taken the mat in opposition to God's will and God's plan and is questioning God's faithfulness to his promise. Imagine the Vegas fight, right, between God and Jacob, you know? In one corner, the heavyweight champion of the universe because he created the universe and everything in it. He is the flutter of worlds, fire and brimstone from the heavens, the holder of leviathans and a lover of justice. Welcome into the ring, God himself, right? And in the other corner, in the white trunks, a human being known from birth as a cheater, a swindler of blessings, a stealer of birthrights. Don't turn your back on him, who knows what he'll do. Returning after 20 years of exile, praying his brother doesn't kill him. Welcome into the ring, Jacob, the son of Isaac. That was kind of fun. I hope you enjoyed that. And you'd think this wrestling match would be completely lopsided, wouldn't you? As if God would reach down from heaven and squash Jacob with his divine thumb. But as Jacob and this angel grapple throughout the night, he is not squished like a bug. The result of this divine wrestling match, it keeps going. Um, and, and in fact, it ends um, not quite in a draw, almost in a draw. But the result of this divine wrestling match is twofold. Right? And so now we're going to break down the results. This is the third part of the sermon this morning. We're going to break down the results of this match. Jacob has been weighed, and he's been found wanting. Um, his opponent is the will of God. And now we're going to look at the results. And the result of this divine wrestling match, despite Jacob's very tenacious holding on, um, is twofold. Jacob receives an injury and a blessing. And I want to speak to those two realities in some detail this morning. First, I want to speak to uh, the wound, the, the injury here. In the middle of this wrestling match, or I guess at the end of this wrestling match, uh, they seem to be evenly matched, Jacob and this angel, or at least Jacob just refuses to give up. And so um, as the sun rises and the night ends, the angel says, okay, we're done. And he reaches down and touches Jacob's hip and miraculously dislocates it. And look, if you've ever dislocated a joint before, you know that it is tremendously painful but Jacob is so insistent on having his way that he powers through the pain and then grapples with the angel. He, he, he recognizes the angel is trying to leave and he grapples and he holds on and he will not let go. I think it goes without saying that whenever we wrestle with God, we shouldn't be surprised if we walk away 
with an injury. You know, people use this phrase a lot, you know, wrestling with God. And, and there's a sense, I think, when we go against God's will and we do those things we were not created to do, we should not be surprised if we leave the mat with an injury. And some of those injuries are self-inflicted. Other injuries are, are God trying to wake us up and to, to use pain of some sort and, and to, to upset our lives so that he can get our attention. But to encounter God in opposition to him, to wrestle with him, is, I think, to expect an injury. I think the, the closest sort of other Bible example I can think of this would be Saul persecuting Christians in the book of Acts, right? His injury was blindness. Um, that as uh, as God um, as as Paul Saul at the time works against the will of God, what happens? He is he has his sight taken away from him. That God injures and disables him uh, to get him off of his high horse, literally, and um, to get his attention so that Jesus Himself can say, "Why are you persecuting me? You're doing it wrong." Um, and, and so I think there's this pattern of people who, when they oppose the will of God, even if they are trying to do God's will in the scripture, um, they walk away from this confrontation with God um, with uh, something like a hip dislocation, where they walk away with blindness, or they walk away with some injury uh, of trying to wrestle with God. Now, there's more to it, though, than that, because um, I want to say a word about blessing. Because the wounded, um, hip-malfunctioning Jacob continues to grapple with the angel. And finally, even with his bad hip, he just grabs on to the man, to the angel. And, and he demands, of all things, a blessing. Right? He demands the thing he stole from his father. He demands the thing he stole from his brother. He demands it from this angelic being, this representative of God himself. And here's what the angel says to this request. Um, let go. Um, the angel says, let go. Jacob says, not to you, bless me. And here's um, what the angel says. And he, the angel, said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. You know, it's hard to overstate the importance of this blessing, I think, because it touches Jacob at his core. From the very beginning, Jacob's name, which means cheater in Hebrew, has been linked with his identity, that he is a deceiver and a cheater and a supplanter. He deceives his family. He's deceived by his wife's family. All he's known in life is deception and trying to, to win at other people's expense through trickery and, and deceit. But now, Jacob gets a new name, Israel. Israel. And this is a name with profound meaning. It means something akin to the one who wrestles or struggles with God. Jacob is a name with all sorts of past baggage about family dysfunction. Israel is a name that describes his future someone who will continue to wrestle with God's promises, but someone who will ultimately prevail. Now, we're going to end on a bit of a cliffhanger this week, right? Because the great question of our text is whether or not the, the big twin brother is still filled with fratricidal rage and whether Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, is going to survive the encounter to come in this next morning. We're going to find that out next week. But here's what I want to share with you in the meantime. 
I want to tell you that the blessing is worth the injury if you are going to wrestle with God. Let me say that again. I want to tell you that the blessing is worth the injury if you are going to wrestle with God. And that's what I want to take away from today. I want to invite you to actually risk the injury and wrestle with God like Jacob does. As Jacob wrestles with God's insistence that he reconciles with his brother, the dislocation of his hip is a small price to pay for the blessing that he gets, a new name, a new trajectory on life. The deceiver has a new outlook. He has a new path to walk thanks to God's intervention. Dislocated hips, my friends, they can be reset in their joint. And I think Paul would say the same thing in the New Testament, right? Paul does not feel particularly bad about his couple of days of blindness. In fact, it was a turning point into a new life that was defined by grace and joy and mercy instead of a legalistic ladder um, or, or zealous anger and murder and the like. Um, that both Paul and Jacob would say that their encounters with God, yes, they walked away limping. Yes, they walked away blind. But it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. Now, here's the thing, though. When we talk about the, the injuring work of God, not all the injuries are physical injuries, you know? Wrestle with God and he might, you know, injure your pride. He might injure your vanity or your need to feel important. Wrestle with God and he might just frustrate a relationship in your life. Or he might orchestrate your own feared reconnection with some dark part of your past. He might expose your sins on the 5 o'clock news. He might tinker with your professional success. One of the famous passages from Lewis's beloved Narnia series features a conversation about Aslan. And if you've read the series, you know that Aslan is the great lion king of this fantasy world called Narnia. And Aslan is a stand-in, an allegory um, for Lewis, to, as a stand-in for Jesus. And so the children in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, are exploring this fantasy, wondrous land. And they meet uh, two characters, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who explain to them that Aslan is on the move against the dastardly white witch. And the beavers explain to the children that Aslan is indeed a lion. And one of the four children, Susan, responds, Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that gets at the heart of our reading today. That God isn't safe, but he is good. And he's the king, I tell you. And if you want to step on the mat with God, just keep in mind and keep that in mind. Don't expect to win or walk away from your wrestling match uninjured. God will intervene in your life in invasive and troubling and frustrating ways, and he will do it for your good. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to explain that the blessing of contending with God um, in this way is worth the injury from our unsafe God. Um, Jacob gets a new name. He gets a new outlook. He gets a new lease on life. I can only imagine what God has in store for you. And look, I'll testify to this myself, right? Like, I'm a pastor. You think I haven't wrestled with God before. I mean, I haven't had a dislocated hip, but, you know, I have had God injure my relationships with women who it turns out were not very good for me in my dating life back when I was in my early 20s. 
And I've had God injure my pride through a number of professional and career missteps and failures. But, I mean, here, here's a story I'm going to leave you with today um, that kind of gets to the heart of the matter. Um, in my own life, about my own wrestling match with God, it started in the Christmas of 2018. So this was, wow, two Christmases ago. The, it was the first Christmas that I spent here at Epiphany. And I'll be honest with you, it was right after Christmas and I was kind of throwing myself a pity party because there were three things I wanted for Christmas that year that I didn't get. I wanted a new pipe for smoking, which I smoke a pipe on rare occasions. I wanted a humidor so that I could keep some cigars on hand for guests. I wanted a new winter coat. My old one was not in great shape. And I said, God, I guess it's not in the cards this year for these three gifts that I want. And so I'll just hold off and see if I can't find these things for sale on my own, and I'll just buy them in the coming months. Well, that next month, January of 2019, um, we connected with a, uh, a friend we hadn't seen in a while who had had some Christmas presents for us. And the Christmas present she bought me, one of them was a humidor for cigars. And then I went to Pittsburgh for a church meeting, and someone pulled me aside and said, hey, someone gifted me this pipe. I'm not much of a pipe smoker, I don't do it, but I think you said you like pipes, so here, you can take it. And he gave me a pipe. And someone from this very church brought some clothes over to our house and said, hey Brian, these are nice clothes and they might be your size. Do you want to try them on before I take them over to the Goodwill? And guess what the top item was in this pile of clothes? It was a new winter coat that fit me just right. Now that's all well and good, right? I prayed for these three gifts, and these three gifts came from people in places that were so far out of left field that to me it was obvious that God had had his fingerprints on them. But behind the scenes, still, there was another matter weighing heavy on my heart. Because at that point in January of 2019, as these gifts were coming in, Beth and I had been trying to have a kiddo for years. And we had just scheduled our first infertility appointment. I mean, what a dreary and difficult hurdle to overcome, right? Visiting the infertility clinic. And so in the middle of a diocesan meeting that February of 2019, we were all sharing prayer requests. And I'll admit, I had a bit of a breakdown. It got to me. And I told them about the infertility treatment at this, this group as we were sharing prayer requests. And I told them the same story I told you about the pipe and the humidor and the coat. And, and it was at that moment I decided to call God out on the mat. And I was going to do it in this meeting with fellow clergy. And I said, look, God wants to provide me with a coat and a pipe and a humidor. Great. But those things aren't important. I can do without those. What about a kid? What's wrong? Why can't we have a kid? If God really wanted to provide for me, we wouldn't need to be going to the fertility doctor right now. And so I had this meltdown. It was a meltdown as much as it was a prayer request where I called God out and I said, does God really want to provide for me? Why would he provide for me? the material things when what I really want is a kiddo. And what I would find out later is that at that meeting where I questioned God's faithfulness to me and his provision in my life, like baby Tom was already conceived by like two weeks. We just got, hadn't gotten the test results back. We hadn't had a chance to look at the pregnancy test. It just wasn't long enough time yet. And so I'm calling God out on a mat to challenge his provision for me when he had already provided the very thing that I wanted the most. And so in the next month of March of that year, I went back to that same diocesan meeting. I had to eat crow. And I had to apologize to the group for a meltdown where I questioned the goodness of God in a meeting of clergy. And I got to announce to them that not only had God provided the pipe and the humidor and the coat, but he provided the baby too. God, you see, had injured my pride. 
He had injured my self-righteousness. He exposed my weak faith for what it was. I walked away from wrestling with God with an injury. But friends, the blessing of a baby boy was worth every humiliation and embarrassment I suffered as a result of calling God to the mat. So yes, please, friends, go to the mat with God, bring him the worst of the worst, receive the injury and the blessing. In fact, that's the same, very same pattern that Jesus Christ himself gives to us, right? What did Jesus do? He took upon himself the sin of the world and in our place went to the mat on our behalf and wrestled God and he lost. And his injury was not a hip dislocation. It wasn't blindness. It wasn't public shaming. It was his crucifixion, certainly much worse than anything else. But his blessing was the resurrection of the dead and the lordship of creation and the salvation of sinners. And so, dear friends, we follow Christ's footsteps. We take the injury, but we receive the blessing. And friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, the injury is worth the blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. This is Bud Korn speaking. Let us affirm our faith in the words of the Apostle Creed. Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany. This is Janice Gooder, and I'm going to be reading the prayers of the people today. Would you pray with me, please? Here is the collect for the third Sunday of Advent. O Lord Jesus Christ, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Grant that the ministers and stewards of your mysteries may likewise make ready your way by turning the hearts of the disobedient toward the wisdom of the just, that at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found a people acceptable in your sight. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign one God now and forever. Amen. We lift up to you this morning, Lord, those on our church prayer list. We remember Rich Wilson's mother, Carol, Rich and Jean Wilson's daughter, Rebecca and family, Tim and Renee Chalstead, Sarah Condon, Beth Gerald's Aunt Janet, Billy Meckick and her son, Charles, Amy and Gabriel Staggs, Regina Butler's mother, Jeff Campbell, the family of Elmer Hammerly, and Bea Blastos in our prayers. 
Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us, especially those on our on this church prayer list, to your never-failing care and love for this life and the life to come, knowing that you are doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Here is the prayer for mission. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Please take a moment to share your own personal prayers and thanksgivings, both silently or aloud with your family. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Heavenly Father, Grant these our prayers for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let's conclude our time together with this prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you've made. We bless you for our creation and for our preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth our praise to you, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. And friends, glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. And now as we close our time together, here are a few announcements for the good of the church. First, quick announcement regarding our Salvation Army program partnerships this year. A reminder that Terry Toscano is heading up our team this Saturday coming up for the Angel Tree toy distribution. If you are able to help this Saturday uh, to lift some boxes and carry them out of people's cars, give Terry Toscano a call and let her know. Uh, she could use your help starting around 9 a.m. Also, the final week of Advent, uh, the December 21 through 24, there are still a number of slots available to help with the Salvation Army Red Kettle campaign. Let Grace Carnes know if you can ring the bell during any of those days. So that's our Salvation Army update. Our next update uh, is an update on our Christmas Eve service. And I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, that our plans are still coming together because our plans remain weather dependent. We don't know if there's snow. We don't know if there's ice. We don't know if it's going to be 60 like it is on it was on Saturday or whether it's going to be 20. My hope is to organize an outdoor gathering somewhere where we can sing Christmas carols 
and hear again the story of God's planned salvation through weakness and frailty and everyday life and Jesus Christ's birth. The truth is, I could tell you six or seven different contingency plans I have in place right now, but that just gets confusing. So once we get the weather forecast in place, I will share our full plans via email and as an announcement in next week's podcast. A third and final announcement. I just want to share a word about the new COVID restrictions on gatherings from the state of Pennsylvania. Yesterday morning, we had a Zoom call with the diocese on some other matters involving elections and budget approvals. And one of the notes from that meeting was we were told that there were no planned changes in the COVID-19 protocols that were given to us at the diocesan level. And given that we are already meeting online this week and next week, our pattern of life together, it won't change much until after Christmas Eve. Now, after Christmas Eve, there are two Sunday gatherings that fall within the dates of the state's gathering restrictions. And so stay tuned. We'll have more information on those uh, particular services as those dates get closer. We want to wait until we get all the information we can before we make a decision on those days. But there is one matter that may impact our life together because of these restrictions. And I want to share a little bit about uh, end of year giving. You know, many uh, folks in our congregation take stock of their personal finances in December and they make gifts to Epiphany based on their tax situation. And if you're concerned about getting a particular gift to Epiphany prior to the December 31st deadline for charitable contributions, and uh, if you are concerned about sending in a check through the mail during the holiday rush, or you're not quite sure you're gonna be able to attend in time to put a check in the plate, there's a couple of ways we can work with you. Uh, You can contact our bookkeeper, Sheila Jackson, and make arrangements with her. Uh, You can give online through our PayPal account, or you can schedule a drop-off date to come by the church office. You know, just put your check in an envelope and seal it. And if you drop it off at the church office with me, I'll play courier to make sure that your gift is deposited in a timely manner. So that's it for announcements. Salvation Army help is needed this weekend and the week before Christmas. Um, our Christmas Eve service, we've got the date down, that's for certain, and we'll get back to you with the times. And as the COVID restrictions come in, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to ask me, particularly as it comes to end of year giving. Friends, I'm excited to be with you on Christmas Eve. Let's stay healthy. Let's get our Christmas shopping done. And in the meantime, we are online again next week. God bless you all. And by his grace, we will be back together soon. Pennsylvania.